Tech Talk. Hi, I'm Johnny Kaplan. And I'm Jesse Katz. And you're listening to the Tech Talk podcast series. In each episode, we're going to take you on a spectacular journey to discover some of the world's emerging new technologies and innovative entrepreneurs from the midst of the hottest startup hubs on the planet. Yep, Jesse and I take you to visit rising technology startups to hear their inspiring journey told directly from their place of business, meeting with amazing founders who succeeded through their own entrepreneurial struggle and made it here to share their wow factor new technology with the global community. So, are you excited at the thought of flying taxis or robots for the elderly? How about drones that fly into burning buildings to warn the firefighters? Well, my friends, the future's already here. Want to find out about new 3D holographic surgery and 15-minute automated drone deliveries? Sit back, crank up the volume, crack open a cold one, hey Johnny, <laughs> and make sure to put that cell phone down. Yep, season one of Tech Talk takes you on a unique and epic journey to one of the most exciting and pioneering places on earth when it comes to creation. Yes, it's Israel, the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. In this previously barren land in the middle of the desert, now lies an oasis which has bred a haven for innovation, technology, and the incubation of new technologies, and now has become commonly known as the startup nation. So, Jesse, we have an amazing episode coming up, and I'm super excited for us to go and visit some of these guests today. I am, too. Actually, this is probably my one of my most exciting episodes, I think. Absolutely. Our first three guests, there's actually a few more than three, but we're going to visit three technologies at IDC Herzliya University in Israel, which is almost like an Ivy League college or university in the U.S., it's a leading university. They teach technology, communications, entrepreneurship, besides, you know, most of the normal bachelor's degrees. And, you know, the three that we're going to see today are actually researchers, and they're researching technologies that we have available to us today, um, but they're utilizing them in a new way. So let me tell you a little bit about each of those, and I'm sure you'll be just as excited as I am. First up is actually a guy who uses VR technology in order to break cultural barriers. So he's had his artwork displayed at many universities across the world, including in the US, in Caltech and in, in other universities. But he uses like these VR experiences to allow sort of Arabs and Israelis to interact and to uh, walk around a home and a family of somebody of a different culture. And it's a great way to help people to meet and see other cultures. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, if you can't travel, then why not do it through technology? Absolutely. You know, now post-COVID in our apocalyptic world, it's a great time for these sorts of technologies. And I think you'll just be so impressed that he's a digital artist in the sense that he's put these together, but he's created experiences that actually change the world and change people's lives and make a lot of impact. Well, you know me, I'm a lover of all cultures, so I'm definitely excited to see how this works. So, without further ado, let's go and see our first researcher at IDC University, Daniel Landau. In this lab, we basically explore virtual reality technology as a medium for exploring behavior. So I do this as an artist and a researcher. My latest projects have been presented in museums. I have one running now in uh, the Israel Museum, 
where I explore the question of empathy between Arabs and Jews. So you'll enter a space and meet the families in a utopian environment. So you give a virtual reality environment to simulate a type of meeting event of different cultures. Yeah, exactly. Since virtual reality is kind of in its early days, it's an interesting moment to speculate what the impact is going to be once it's going to be kind of widely distributed. And we do believe as, as the kind of research community that it does have the potential to impact positively in terms of bringing in-groups and out-groups together. Wow. And what sparked this idea? Okay, so as a media artist, I always look at new technologies and try to explore what this relationship between humans and technology can result in. So this is my playground. So any technology that comes out, I'm very curious. You talk about a playground. I mean, this university here at IDC really is a playground, especially if you want to create and you want to innovate. And one of the things you've done is technologies developed, you've developed these experiences. Within virtual reality, there's this aspect of being embodied in a different body, so virtual embodiment, which is you know, one of the most interesting applications I'm exploring. And what that basically means is that not only you are somewhere else, placing the, the goggles over your head, is actually being inside a different person's body. And that is a fascinating experience, nothing you've felt like before. So. It's an out-of-body experience without using it's, any it's, mind-altering it, drugs, right? Exactly. Using mind-altering so technology. It, it, it is related to the experience of out-of-body uh, experiences, but the question this raises in terms of, of identity, the physical aspect of our identity is, is thought to be stable. Now, when that is opened up, and is fluid, you can change your bodies as if you were changing clothes. This opens a lot of interesting questions about the possibility to kind of expand the concept of self. So in this experience, mm -hmm. you are basically embodied in the body of a child, uh, a grown-up and an older person. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm assuming that now you can see yourself as a child uh, and Daniel is touching your hands and you see a child's hands. But that's why Jessie can't stop laughing is because she's actually experiencing, she doesn't quite know how to react that you've taken her back to her childhood. Wow, this is incredible. Oh my God, this reminds me of when I was two. <laughs> your work has been exhibited in many museums across the world, in Japan, in the States, in, uh, in England. So tell us a little bit about where the work's been featured. Uh, in China, we had this performance where I was actually inviting audience to experience virtual embodiment. I was also uh, performing in universities such as Stanford, Caltech, and, and UCLA, where I was uh, teaching. So in a way, I, I like to expand my exhibitions into various audiences and contexts. But the technology is still not there yet. So I use a lot of techniques which involve uh, 360 filming. Wow. And that uh, has some limitations, but also some very uh, distinctive uh, advantages. Because it feels real. It, it feels very real yeah. and it basically simulates interactions that we know in uh, real life. Right now, imagining a, a radical scenarios, for example, my, a project where you get to meet yourself in virtual reality. I want to explore wow. self-compassion with the notion that normally it's easier for people to express compassion to others. And how would that be when you reverse it and you could express that same compassionate attitude towards yourself? It's a fantastic way to use selfies in a, in a brand new way that I've <laughs> yeah, never yeah. thought of, yeah, which exactly. is actually impactful and constructive. So we wish you the very best of luck. It sounds very Thank interesting. You. Thank you it's so much. How was that, Jess? I mean, 
you see how he's crossing those borders, right? You know, we talked today about racism, diversity. If everybody could jump into this VR platform and just experience what someone else has experienced, it's a step in the right direction, isn't it? It's amazing. Johnny, we are building bridges with this technology, and I think this is just really the tip of the iceberg. So I'm super excited to see where this takes us down the road. And next up, we're going to see somebody who's using mind waves, brain waves, in order to control technology. So they have a little device. It goes around your head. You wear it. It's almost like a headband. You wear it around your forehead. It has some sensors on it. And actually, they're going to show us that they have tried this out with a paralyzed, disabled person who was controlling a drone and flying it around just from looking at it. There's lots of different applications of that, and we're going to go try some of those out. Okay, so Johnny, what I think you're telling me is that telepathy could actually be a thing? Kind of not telepathy, but it's... I mean, this is as close to telepathy as we can get. I mean, you're thinking things, and then technology is going to take the things that you think out of your head and put it out there in someone else's head or into, you know, they're (sighs) going to speak it. I mean, I'm excited to see this. What are you talking about? So I guess the only difference here, it's not really going into somebody else's head. It's going to go onto some kind of technological device. But, you know, we're halfway there and I, I definitely feel you, you know, this is like from those movies that we used to watch, right? You look at something and you control it. And now there are devices that do that. And we know there are things that we can touch, right? We can press a button. We can wave something. We can even wear a band on our arm. uh, We can play games. We know about all that stuff. But now we're talking about using your mind. And this is really groundbreaking. And as I said, you know, applications for disabled or, or people that have physical restrictions is amazing. But for the rest of us, wow, this is, it's sci fi. It really is. This is exciting, actually. I'm pretty stoked to see this. I couldn't agree more. So let's go see this cool device from Jonathan and Lotam. The idea is using this piece of hardware made originally for meditation. We are using it as an antenna. Double blink is mapped for the central button for, in this case, emergency calls. I just moved my head a bit up. It read this motion and it's mapped for this button. So how is that actually working? What's it tracking? So we're tracking the biological signals that are all over your face. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. give a bigger range of uh, gestures, facial and movements, even slight ones will still be registered. Amazing. Jesse, you want to show us how this works? I'm sure you're you're, you're fascinated. Yes, I'd love to. You have to remember, this is originally mapped to my gestures. Right. I like it. (laughs) Jesse, you look like a (laughs) a princess (laughs) now. I like it. I have to say, I'm loving all this positive feedback. I like like it. They like it. They like it so much. If you do a right blink with your your eye, with your right eye, it should take the right menu and says, I like it actually now. Mm. Okay, let's try another one. Double blink with both your eyes. No, this should have taken a center. Jesse, you aren't very conductive. I'm not, <laughs> but they still like it. Does this mean there's no brain activity going on inside <laughs> oh, Jesse's no. brain? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, is. but the mapping is individual and it requires 10 minutes of self-training. So essentially what it's showing me is that every headset has to be specifically fitted. The idea is that the sensors that are located here are touching the skin in a good enough way and this is conductive oh. rubber that it passes electricity through it. This program also have other abilities. Technically, we can control every internet of things, something in the house like TV, 
Anything just been thinking of it. Switch the kettle on. Yes. This is the remote control of the future. I'm sorry to embarrass you there. I'm sure you've got some brain material going on there inside your brain. It seemed to be a good joke at the time. Yeah, well, apparently there's not much going on inside my noggins. So. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't want to say it, but I did. On camera. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I had a fun time practicing my wink. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's just remarkable technology. I mean, just think about it. Winking, you know, just really moving your forehead or your eyebrows or even really just thinking it can actually cause a chain of reactions. I know, but now you realize we're all going to have to be super aware once we start using this. Super aware of any tick that you have or any little movement, like if you accidentally, you know, wink as a joke and then all of a sudden your headset takes it as something else. <laughs> <laughs> My issue is that, you know, everybody's worried about social media or, or big tech listening to your conversations and advertising you things. Now you're going to have to be extremely careful what you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for me then. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, end of show. Boop. <laughs> and the last guest at IDC is a lady who's been researching the use of VR technology coupled with touch and things that are tricking your senses. So you might not be able to actually, it might not physically be there, but when you go to press it in the VR application, you will feel like you pressed something. So really tricking your senses and seeing how the brain reacts to things which aren't actually there and illusions and things using technology. That is such a mind warp. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine like, no, seriously, I mean, the way that your visuals can actually have physiological effects on you, that is something. That is definitely something I want to see. I totally. hope she's using it for good and not for evil. <laughs> no, totally. And, you know, all of these applications, you could see that there could be some, you know, negative use of them. But they're quite remarkable. And these are really basic technologies that we have available to us. A lot of them using VR or touch. And they've really found out how to advance and evolve those into new applications that are taking the, the technology forwards. So... I think you're really going to love playing around with this technology. This is really something else you can feel and touch and experience. And we're going to see if we can trick your senses here, Jess. Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, let's see if you can trick my Are senses. you game? <laughs> I am game. All right, let's do it. I'm inside an art gallery. There's a blank painting next to me. Two broken eggs in the middle. Oh. Here are my hands. I've been doing a few experiments in a field that's called experimental aesthetics, and it's a field where uh, art historians are joining with neuroscientists to investigate the way our body is uh, stimulated and aroused in response to artworks. Oh, there I am! Yeah, there is, there I am! There is virtual <laughs> Jesse. You can get very close to it, there is no objection to that. The detail's very good there as yeah. well, right? It's very, very high resolution. Yes, well, it right? is. Hold it and push it. Push it as if... Yes! Yeah, yeah so that's a Oh thing. my God, so that's a real thing. Did you feel that? I feel weird telling you that I felt something that I know didn't happen, but yes, I <laughs> felt that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the question is whether actually when we are viewing an artwork and not touching it, is something happening in our brain that is equivalent to touching? 
When I looked at the okay. picture, I could almost feel, feel touch. touch. The fact that Jesse mentioned the sense of being present is very important because this is what we are investigating. Okay, if you look at the table, then you'll find a bowl. Aha, yeah. uh -huh, yeah. I see the bowl. And just, that's right, put it into the green plate. Very realistic, I can feel it rolling around in my hand. It's almost kind of weird. Wah. Studies have shown that on the level of brain activity, you actually move. You do not move physically, but your brain is simulating this action of movement. Oh, now oh, take the blue maybe one. you lost it. So, Don't drop it. Okay, there great. You go. Jesse, we could get you in bomb okay. disposal. And, and then she dropped it. <laughs> no. right. Actually, I changed my mind. No, no bomb disposal for you. Your brain simulates it as if you were preparing to move your own hand. Wow. Uh, this is called embodied simulation, and this is at the basis of much uh, research in experimental aesthetics. How are you feeling? <laughs> so, how was that? How did you feel? You, you know, you touched something, it wasn't there, but you felt it. You know, what was that like, JK? Uh, honestly, I don't know what's real and what's not real anymore. Am I in Never Never Land? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. I feel, <laughs> I feel weird. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not signing you up for the bomb disposal unit. You look like you were very, 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 you know, delicate with your hands there. I was, you know, I was singing your praises and then you, you dropped it on the floor. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. Okay, Johnny. <laughs> but that was really, you know, that was really intriguing technology. And I, and I love the way that she's integrated the sense of touch, of seeing things that aren't really there. You know, we say seeing is really believing. Well, it really was because you saw it. You believed it. It wasn't really there. You felt it. That was weird. <laughs> I feel like somebody should put everyone in the insane asylum after they go through all of this, but it was there. It wasn't there. It was there. I felt it. No. Well, you know, I read something once which said the tech will kill us in the end. And, you know, it's all amazing in one way. But, of course, there's the danger of it taking us to these virtual worlds and platforms that reality has been lost. So let's hope that all of these wonderful entrepreneurs we've gone to see have got their head screwed on they're taking us in the right direction yeah let's hope that either we can save the world with it or at least use it to find a new planet to inhabit <laughs> so next up is a company called cortica we're going to see the ceo igal and they basically have the world's most advanced self-driving car platform They've had tens of millions of dollars invested from some of the world's leading technology brands. You wouldn't believe it from this company situated in Israel, but they have remarkable technology. And these people are really changing the face of self-driving cars and just sort of getting in the car, sitting back, closing your eyes and saying, hey, James, Mr. Robot, please get me there on time. See, is this like the kind of thing where you can sit back and read like a newspaper on your way to work, except you're not in the subway, you're in your own car? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you know, they, they already have those, right? Tesla, I think there is more than, you know, don't quote me, there's more than 10 million connected cars on the road. There are Tesla's certain models have the self-driving capacity inside there. So there are thousands, certainly thousands of them on the road. There are companies like Google and so on who are testing those, but yeah, read the newspaper, sleep, you know, play backgammon with a friend. I mean, effectively, you're not touching anything. You're not doing anything. The car is doing everything. Tell that to the officer that pulls you over. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm a control freak. It's hard for me to, you know, to sit in the passenger seat or in the back of a car while somebody else is driving. So I have a hard time getting that around it mentally, how I'm going to allow that to happen. But remarkable technology. I mean, this is is. sci-fi, sci-fi. Car's going to drive itself there. (laughs) So let's go and see you, Gal, and, and hear about how they do this. Oh, I'm so excited, Johnny. So I'm here with Egal Rachel Gals, the CEO and co-founder of Cortica. Hi, Egal. Hi. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. So tell us a little bit about Cortica's history. Cortica was founded as a company about 10 years ago. We are three founders, and the goal was to try and understand how our brain processes natural signals and creates a perception, recognizing objects, recognizing patterns, understanding situations and scenes. Things that we often take for granted. That's right. We are doing it on a day-to-day basis, probably thousands of time every minute. And these processes are extremely complex, although we are doing them easily, in real time, extremely accurately. So this was part of your PhD studies at university. And then how did you sort of bring this into a commercial application? We started as a research. We translated all those insights and scientific observations into a software, a software that simulates those processes and commercializing it through autonomous vehicles. And the main challenge of uh, this industry and those products is for the car to autonomously understand what's going around in real time, uh, understand the context, the interaction between different elements like pedestrians, cars, traffic lights, and so on, and to predict the next few seconds in order to make the right decision on the road. The challenge here is really to build a system that is not pre-programmed, but the system can actually learn and adapt itself. We are effectively robots ourselves because our brain learns, it processes information, it stores mistakes and experiences that we had, and often we try to fix those and, and go and evolve and go on in a better, more developed way. Yes, one of the major capabilities that humans have and uh, traditional approaches such as deep learning do not have at the moment is the ability to learn in unsupervised way. So no one comes to a person and says, this is a cat, a dog, a car, a pedestrian, and does that thousands of times. We as human beings are able to observe the environment, to identify common elements, cluster them, and form on our own the concepts. And the challenge is that it's unlike, for example, games. In the real world, the, the number of variations is practically unlimited. You have lots of different situations that you cannot predefine or expect. You have all the challenges of lighting conditions and weather conditions and so on. All these require the ability to adapt. So we see that you've obviously come some way in the last 14 years of your journey. Recently announced a a Series C round, several million dollars, um, that will help you to commercialize uh, the technology and take it out to the mass market. What are the next steps for Cortica? Cortica so far built a very strong platform. Uh, We raised, as you mentioned, over $60 million. And the goal of this funding was to to make sure that Cortica is the leading independent player in the AI industry. Another vertical that is very important is in the space of cameras. We see today thousands and in many countries, millions of cameras appearing on streets and public places, and all this for safety and efficiency of new generation of smart cities. Our capability is the brain behind those cameras. We process and sift through massive amounts of images and videos and extract very important insights and elements for the functionality of those. Uh, The image scanning and processing, you can actually teach the system to scan for those. And rather a human being having to stand there and do that, you have a computer that's able to do it. Exactly, and it goes beyond isolated objects. It goes more into the behavior of human being, where we can monitor 
places like kindergartens and hospitals and make sure that the behavior there is as expected and there are some outliers, the system can identify those and uh, alert the right people. So where can we expect to see Cortica products? We expect the first uh, cars uh, with Cortica capabilities to appear in 2021. Uh, we also expect uh, Cortica technology in a very short uh, term to enable scanning machines in airport to autonomously scan the luggage. The drones and cameras is another big area of focus for us and we already have system deployed there where cameras inspect uh, public places and uh, make sure that uh, everything is efficient and safe. It's certainly a very interesting and relevant space to be in. And as we can see by some of the strategic partners you're working with, that you've really got the backing of the global community. We are very proud to have the investors and the partners that we have in the company. We have a very unique opportunity to take this powerful technology and to make sure that it has an impact on the day-to-day -day life of millions of people. Well, it's certainly be very enjoyable hearing about your technology firsthand and hopefully we'll be seeing very bright things in the future for Cortica. Thank you. Wow, so like I said, exciting stuff. I probably will get myself one of those self-driving cars, but I might just watch on the back seat the Igal and all the other boys until they get it perfect before I take them up. <laughs> I guess this definitely kind of changes the whole concept of a backseat driver, since uh, <laughs> even the driver in the driver's seat is, is the backseat driver. Yeah, <laughs> the front seat driver is the backseat driver effectively today. Yeah, there is no driver anymore, it's your car. <laughs> so last but not least, we've saved the best for last, is real view imaging. And literally by the end of this show, the hairs on your arms are going to be standing up. So this is really amazing technology. We're talking about 3D holographic a surgical device. Now, what the hell is that? This is a, a machine called Holoscope. It's a machine that's bigger than the size of a human being. It has a display that stretches over your head. So basically it stands next to a surgeon while he's operating it. The surgeon can look through the lens and he can see a 3D hologram representation of your heart in real wow. time or, or another organ. He can turn it around. He can cut cross sections. He can see where he's cutting because the camera that's inside the patient is what's displaying on this 3D hologram machine. This is mind-blowing technology. It's a game changer. They're already in several hospitals in the US and around the world. This is the future of healthcare. Oh my God, it really is. They're pretty tough to transport if they're that large. It's a big machine. It's a medical device. It's a machine, you know, like you buy in the hospital, like an x-ray machine. It's a, it's a big device. But you know what? I'm sure this device really incredibly improves accuracy. Correct. Not only does that, but, you know, you can see exactly where he's going. He can see the heart. He can see any damage. It gives him much more visibility um, than they've ever had. And of course, he doesn't have to get his hands dirty, not touching an X-ray, an X-ray machine, switching anything on. It's all done via voice commands, haptics, using your controls of just turning things around as if it was an illusion. It's not really there. Wow. Oh, this is so, this is really exciting, actually. I think this is going to be life-changing. This is one of the best guests that we've had on Tech Talk today. Oh. All right, you've talked it up enough, Johnny. I want to see it now. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So I'm here with Aviad and Shaul, the founders of Real View Imaging. 
Hello. Hi, lovely Welcome. to meet you. Hello, hello. Tell us a little bit about RealView, tell us about the Holoscope machine and what you intend to do with it. The Holoscope system is the first system in the world that allows the physician during a procedure to see a hologram in front of him, but also to work with the hologram, to manipulate the hologram in the air while he's doing the procedure intended initially for cardiology, but going to other fields as well. Well, you're called real view imaging because your holograms are actually made up in the real angle of view at the right distance, and you actually reconstruct those 3D images so we see them in real time in front of us. Yes, holography is out there for many years, but the real holograms that we see in museums are static and usually monochromatic. In our case, we interfere light in space. It's like a 3D printer of light. And then we create the image in space in real time. It is dynamic. We track your hand so you can move it around. You can cut the image. Everything is being done in real time. The physician sees the very specific heart with a catheter or any tool that he's now using during the procedure as he goes. And again, he can do anything he wants. Anything you do on your smartphone, you can do here in space by literally touching the image. A hardware device on its own is very, very difficult to develop in the first place. So how did you get through this R&D procedure of, of actually developing the product? Uh, it's a good question. We have a team here that are coming either from the medical space or from the defense space. And I agree with you that it's, it's quite challenging to develop something uh, so multidisciplinary. Uh, and I'm quite proud that we managed to do that uh, here in Israel. So what we have here is a picture of Shaul and myself as we presented uh, the company to the Prime Minister of Japan, Mr. Shinzo Abe, and the Prime Minister of Israel, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu, that was a very interesting opportunity to be selected, to be one of the companies to showcase the technology to, to distinguished leaders. We know that you've been through a number of funding rounds so far. You've been through a seed round and a Series A round, and recently a Series B round. A large Chinese investment fund invested $10 million in the company. So what's the next stage? The next stage is we're going to commercialize the Holoscope Eye system. This system is going to first medical centers and is going to be used during procedures, both for investigational work and for daily practice. In parallel, we are developing the next generation system, which also allows to generate the hologram inside the patient. So the next round of financing comes to support bringing this into the market. So you're looking for potentially financial partners, you're looking for medical partners, you're looking for distributors to actually get the product out there, to start getting feedback and then enhancing it even further. I mean, this is a wonderful new step in the innovation of medical products. We're not only the first in the world that are creating real interference-based holograms, but we are also the first ones in the medical domain that we take real data in real time and allow the physician to see exactly the organ that is now treating while he is treating it. Guys, we've spoken about it so much, I'm excited to give it a try. Why don't you show me exactly what this thing can do? Sure, you're welcome to try it out. So what you're seeing here is the holoscope eye system. And what you can do is you can move inside the system and just hold the hologram in your hand. And you can now manipulate the hologram during a procedure. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. Firstly, I'm seeing this very lifelike looking object. It's a pulsating heart. You can move between functions using voice commands, you can try, just say holoscope rotate. Holoscope rotate. Rotate mode. Oh, so he understood me, so now I'm gonna get my finger in. Exactly. Fantastic, wow. Incredible, incredible graphics here. And then as you said, I can voice command it, like say holoscope zoom. Zoom mode. 
I press on the plus, there we go. Huge heart in front of me, I'm getting a great surgeon's perspective of it. Holoscope slice. Slice mode. You're slicing into the image in the same location that the image is located. This is what's unique about the system. So you are actually touching the image. And this basically means that there is no interpretation. The physician now sees the image in front of him in the same location, in the correct location. And one of the things I've noticed straight away, I mean, we're conducting an interview here, and I'm able, hands-free, to be able to look through the device, manipulate the heart. I can then talk to you. I can go back to the patient. I can operate on the patient if needs be. And then this is always available here. There's no clinical or uh, hygiene problems because I'm not actually touching the device. Th that's perfectly correct. The ability to work with the image for a long period of time without any fatigue is a combination of the fact that we're not creating an illusion. The image is real, so you can work with it for many hours without any fatigue or nausea. But the fact that also there is nothing on your head, if you're doing a two-hour procedure, a physician doesn't want to put anything on his head. Incredible stuff. Instead of looking on a 2D screen, here I see a hologram. I can see the entire depth of the image. And many times the depth is very important, specifically if you would like to implant something or to go with a catheter or a device and touch a specific point in space. So instead of interpretation from a 2D screen, there is no interpretation here. If I see something, it's there. If I want to touch it, I go ahead and touch it. If I want to move it, I just move it around and it moves with me. I can now make measurements. I can now mark things in the image that are supporting the procedure. Uh, for example, holoscope mark. Mark mode. Select. Holoscope rotate. Rotate mode. So now I marked a path inside the aorta and I can see the specific path that I would like to go with my catheter to do a very specific things later on. Now, if I would like to look inside, I just say holoscope slice. Slice mode. And now, literally with my finger, I slice in. I can also make a measurement, holoscope measure. Measure mode. Holoscope select. Holoscope select. And by literally touching the areas that I would like to measure, I do the measurement on the fly, as you can see. So I'm assuming this is increasing efficiency, it's reducing errors and problems that, that are found because you're giving more data, more access, more information, and you're checking these things before you actually make the procedure. Absolutely. I take it to the very basics of our eyes and how we see 3D. It is really here. Because it's here, I can understand it. And if I understand it, my confidence gets higher. If I would like to do a procedure, the procedure will be faster. The outcome will be better. So Jess, you know, wow, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep dreaming about touching these organs that weren't really there. And the machine just literally understands my commands as I speak to it. It felt so futuristic. This is a phenomenal device and I can't wait to see it really in use. Yeah, I think that's really incredible because I mean, I used to watch the show House, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's always that, you know, they're gonna go in for a surgery and then as soon as they start, something goes wrong and they realize that they missed something and this kind of like, this is the big solution to all of those issues in that TV show where you can really see a 360, you get a full picture of everything of what you're going into and I think that it really, uh, 
it's amazing that it can improve it with such accuracy. I feel like I'm in safe hands. Not now, I don't need any surgeries right now, thank God, but you know, further down the line, God forbid, should something happen to me, I feel a lot safer. I'm very happy to know this exists. Stay tuned for another great show coming up and thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. You may also visit us at electrocast.com. The Tech Talk podcast is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netter, and Peter Rafelson. Special thanks to our associate producer, Sienna Jackson, our podcast recordist, Adam Kleinberg, and our audio editor, Chris Souza. Join us in our next episode, where we continue our journey to the world's most amazing startups to bring you one step closer to our incredible new technological evolution. Fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.